uh, this afternoon after the service this morning. My wife's coming down with other folk and the children as well. Um, I was sent down the road with uh, the dirty washing. I don't know what that, <laughs> what that meant. Um, but the road was really bad in the A9 and I needed to nick into the house too. So I, I knew I was tight for time and then I thought I'll just arrive at one minute to four and then there's roadworks along there. I thought, I can't believe it. But anyway, it's really good to be here um, and to be able to, to share with you tonight. I'm in Greenock um, and uh, I appreciate prayers for, for safety and travel and the fact that I don't need to call them to say that I'm going to be running late. Um, Kim, my wife, and the children, and indeed the church at New Craig, send their, their greetings uh, to you. We've been praying for you this morning at our service and praying that God's word would really impact our our lives as we look at it over the next few weeks, God willing, for God's honor and God's, God's glory. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, as we come to your word, speak to us through it, we pray. Your word is eternal. Your word is living. Your word is powerful. Your word gives life. And Father, thank you that your word ultimately points us in the direction of your Son and his amazing love towards us and your amazing love towards us, Father, in giving him up. And so, Father, as we look at this little book, this little letter over the next few months, Father, we pray that we would understand it. Yes, we would understand it intellectually as has been prayed but more than that father that it would pierce our hearts as we open up our lives and our wills and our minds to you lord for us these things in jesus precious name amen i want to just um if this is working Paul's letter to Titus entrusted. We're going to be looking at this little study in the first few verses of Titus uh, entitled 30 Years a Slave. And we'll see what we mean by that as we, uh, as we go on in this. In the, the um, Boston Museum of, of Fine Art, there is a, uh, the largest painting of the post-impressionist painter Paul Gogan, and in the corner of his painting, just right in the corner of his painting, he wrote these words. He wrote the words, du venons nous. Who speaks French? What does du venons nous mean? Very good, top of the class. He also wrote, he also wrote, Que sommes-nous? What are we? That's right. Good. He wrote the words, Où allons-nous? Where are we going? That's right. Very good. Uh, I, 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 I gave this, I, I, I taught this in my, my, my home church in, in, in New Craig in Motherwell, and not one person answered me, so you're obviously far more intelligent than, than us in Motherwell, but that goes without saying, no doubt. D'où venons-nous? Que sommes-nous? Où allons-nous? And from those three questions, I put together questions that relate to this. 
which basically is the same questions that this impressionist painter, pain, painter was asking. Basically, he's asking these questions. Who am I? Where, where do we come from? Who am I? Where did I come from? Not just who am I, but where did I come from? And that's an important question today in the world today because the world will tell you lies. Why am I here? Why am I here? And where am I going? In the first four or so verses of Titus, we're going to look at Paul's reply to these questions because we might come up with a few answers to that. When I ask my, 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 um, my, my children these questions, oh, it's dangerous to ask the children um, such such. Um, deep questions, but when I, when I ask the questions of who am I, you might answer quite simply with your name. <laughs> I'm, I'm Benjamin, or I'm, I'm Gary, or I'm, or I'm James. You might even answer your nationality, and behind that there might be some political statement. You might answer your job title, well, I, I'm a teacher, or I'm a salesman, or I'm a carer, or I'm a housewife, or I'm a mother, or I'm a father. Where did I come from? Here are a few answers that I got from my children. Karis, the youngest, said, I'm from Wisher. She is very, very proud of the fact that she's the only one of her three children that was born in Bonnie, Scotland, in Wisher. Where did I come from? From my mum and dad, one other answered. Why am I here? To look after my family? to do well in life, to have a career, to help people, or to just get through life? Where am I going? Towards retirement, and then I can enjoy life. At Fiscali, the, the, the teacher that we asked to come was a, 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 a good friend of mine by the name of Paul Friend, who works with Fernley Hill Evangelical Church through in the south side of Edinburgh. And um, I was quite impressed by him because the last time I met him, during the times since I've seen him last, he's taken up running. And he looks quite a, a fit and healthy person. And as I watched him from my room, from the chaise long that's in my, 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 my room, and I saw him running up and down, I felt slightly guilty at one, one point. That quickly passed, don't worry about that. But I asked where, where is he going? He just seemed to keep running constantly, constantly, and not non-stop and at a high speed. Where am I going towards success? I want to get to the top. Is, is, is that our goal? Sometimes it's hard to answer these, these questions, but more importantly, when all the exterior is stripped away, what are your answers to these questions? Not Maybe not the answers that you would give in church, but what are your real answers to these questions? For these questions are asked by many people today, especially those across our world who realize maybe that the winter season of life is here, and as they look back on most of their life. But the questions go deeper. Who am I really? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? We're going to look at this little letter. And in this study, 
this first study, we're going to see what the Apostle Paul answers to these questions in Titus. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. It will come up on the screen. Um, however, it's always good to look at your own uh, Bible as you come to This is the Word of God. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed time, appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. Amen, and may God bless his word to us. Paul reveals right at the very start of his letter his identity. He answers the question, who am I? Now, this was not unusual for letter writing in those days. Do you remember letter writing? Does anyone remember letter writing? Does anyone still do letter writing? I, I do. I write some letters. Um, but of course, it, it's an unusual thing in our way of writing to put your name at the top or to put your name to start with. Normally, you, see, you say, dear whoever, okay, dear John or dear whatever, Timothy or wh whatever. This is not an unusual way to write uh, a letter in Paul's days where he declares who he is, he says who he is, I am Paul. But if you stop at the name of Paul, and that's a study all in itself because his name was changed, as you know, changed from Saul to Paul. But even if you stop at the name Paul, you don't have his full identity. I know a number of Garys, well, a few at least, that I don't particularly like. But does that mean that I'm like them? Maybe some of you will say yes. A name does not describe necessarily who we are. It is, it is, it, it is a tag. It's, it's not necessarily our full identity, for Paul was much more than the name that was given to him when, he, when it was changed from Saul. And his answer is there for us to see. Do you see what he says there? Paul, a servant of God. Paul, a servant of God, a slave of God. Dulos, a slave. When Paul writes this letter, some 30 probably around 30 years or so have passed. That's why I've, ent I've entitled this study, 30 Years a Slave. Some 30 years have passed, long, action-packed, faith-challenging at times, years, discouraging years at times have passed. Blessed times, of course, but he has been through the mill, as we would say. He has been through difficulty, and often it's in times of difficulty that we understand or appreciate who we are really. And he says here that he is a slave. And in Corinthians, he writes that these words, are they Abraham's descendants? 
So am I. Are these servants of Christ? I am out of my mind talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Listen, one shipwreck would have probably done me. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I think we get the idea he was in danger. I have labored and I have toiled, and I have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger, I have known thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold, I have been naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Paul knows that he is a slave. Listen, this is not a life he he would have chosen. We, We know from Scripture that God in His grace and in His sovereign mercy chose Paul to be a light to the Gentiles to take the gospel out to the Gentiles. He who one day was going along, I was going to say in his pockets, but in his tunic, had letters giving him the authority to arrest Christians and to put them in prison, and probably worse, he was changed that day when he met the living Lord Jesus. He was a slave and he knew it, and brothers and sisters, so are we. Aye, we are slaves of God. Oh, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We know that. But we are not set free to do what we like. Now, let, let that sink in for a moment, because sometimes that just goes through, through, through my mind uh, without any real thought. Slaves do what their masters tell them. If not, they're in trouble. Slaves belong to someone. In the Bible, it is, it is calling God the Lord and the master of our lives. And Paul knew that through his life. He knew who he, who he was. He was a slave of God. And at the end of his life, he knew it because this is the second last letter that we have of the Apostle Paul. He would only write one, one more after this, Second Timothy. Oh, he did start Romans with the phrase, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. But here he says, Paul, a servant of God. Of course, Paul knew who Jesus was. And he did start Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servant slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul knew to whom he belonged. Can I ask you, just answer this question silently in your heart as I answer it in my own life. 
How long have you been a slave of God? 20 years? 10? 5? 2? 40? 50 years? Just reflect on what that might mean for us as we continue these studies in Titus. Because sometimes we can get into a letter and we just go over, and go over these words very fast. And let's just get to the meat of the letter. He is a servant of God. We see great differences in servants of God. In fact, that is exactly what Paul will go on to say in the next couple of studies when he challenges these people who received this letter. He's, he is going to ask them, and that will be my study, God willing, next week, are you going to remain a Cretan or live like Christ? Not a Cretan, but a Cretan. Are you going to remain a, a Cretan or are you going to live like Christ? The third study, as he looks at, at this for, for, for these Cretans, he's going to explain to them that believing something means behaving. That's why Paul would write to young Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Because what you believe shapes how you live or ought to. Who we understand God to be, and as we stood at Loch Fiscali this morning for prayer, I was encouraging the people of New Creek to think of the attributes of God, to think of who He is, and then left them with this challenge. If we believe that He is sovereign, if we believe that He is almighty, if we believe that He is merciful, if we believe that He is holy, if we believe that He is love, if we believe that He is a God of grace and a God of mercy and so on, how is that going to affect how I live this, this week? Ask yourself a question, who are you? For your answer will determine how you live this week. Paul was now around 30 years a slave, a slave of Jesus Christ, a slave of God, certainly by the time he writes his last letter, 2 Timothy, probably no more than a, a year or so after this one. Paul is in prison, and he knows he's going to die. It's my great joy and privilege at Tilsley College to teach the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And every time I come to Second Timothy, it is extremely difficult to read Second Timothy with dry eyes. Paul knows what's going to happen, and his heart is being exposed. The great apostle and Paul here is in prison as he writes Second Timothy, and he, is, he, he has been reminded of the words that he wrote to the Galatians, that he had been crucified with Christ, and he no longer lives, but Christ lived in him. And that the life that he lived in the body, he lived by faith in the Son of God who loved him and who gave himself for Paul. Let's been singing about songs of the future, haven't we? of one day we shall see Jesus. I tell you, on that day, it is not a cliche, although it, it may have been used in the past as a cliche, it's not a cliche. We will wish we'd given him more. We are a slave of God. 
And Paul knew that his identity was not first and foremost in what he had achieved or what people called him. People called him a number of things, not necessarily nice things. And he knew that his identity was in Christ, and so are we. If we have come to trust Him and come to the cross and acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior, we are in Christ. We derive who we are in relation to who we are before God. That's why a man, a woman, is no more and no less than what they are on their own, alone before God. So Paul knew who he was. Where did he come from? Well, let's return to his more frequent self-description. He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was sent by Jesus, an apostle, a sent one. Now, Paul could go way back in his family history. If you know his, his letters well, he could have easily have been one of, of those family heritage um, experts that, that trace back their genealogy, that trace back their family tree um, to the nth generation. I tried that, that once. I didn't get too far. You need an awful lot of time and a fair bit of money. Uh, well, so people were telling me, but I got back three or four, maybe five generations or so and realized that uh, names were following, uh, seemed to follow down the family. There's an awful lot of Josephs, a lot, an awful lot of Henrys in my family and Williams. I think I'm the first Gary, um, but, uh, and I think probably my son is the first Benjamin, and so on. But Paul could, try, could, could go right back in the history. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He, he, was, he was from one of the elite tribes of the nation of Israel. Along with Judah, he would have taken great care and given much detail to, to, to his family tree. But ultimately, that paled in the light of the importance of knowing that he was sent by Jesus, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, brothers and sisters, we've been sent. How do I know that? The Bible teaches me it. We are to go into this world, and going into this world, we are to make disciples. The thrust of that command is in the making of the disciples. But in going, in going, we are to make disciples, and we are sent by Jesus Christ. And it's hard, I know. It's difficult, I know, when we preach Jesus, whether we preach it from a, a platform or from a street corner or from a market stall or wherever or whether we are sharing it in a, in, a, in a family situation around the table, I've been there. Or whether we're at work, I've been there when the colleagues are ridiculing you first and foremost, they're ridiculing Christ. They are rejecting Christ. And that should, that should affect us, and I'm sure it does. As people reject Christ, they are not firstly rejecting us, they are rejecting God, they are rejecting Christ, but we are called, we are sent, we need to go into this world. I just come back on Thursday from, from Romania, taking the students to, to Romania for a week with my colleague Erica um, Rainey from, 
from Glow, from Tilsley College. We took the first year students out to Romania to a place where I've been often. And I could take you to churches in Romania amongst the the gypsy folk that that are there in deep, difficult, poverty-stricken places in, in, in the wider Cebu area at the foot of the Transylvanian Alps. And the gospel has, has reached these people. And you've got men and women in that church who have practically nothing. And they are worshiping God. They realize where they come from. They don't come, come from a gypsy village. Ultimately, they come from, they are sent by God in there. And God in His grace and His mercy has, has saved them. And it's a real thrill to see it. I don't understand it. I don't understand all their, their words, although I've learned one or two words over the years that I've been to Romania. But I understand their enthusiasm more than that. I understand the spirit of what they're doing. And they've got great, great enthusiasm with their accordions and saxophones and a double bass. Have you ever heard worship-led by just an accordion, a saxophone, and a double bass. It's a cultural shock, but it's brilliant. Do you know why? Because they're worshiping God. They know who they come, where they come from, you see. You see, they know why they're, wh- wh- where they come from. They know who they are. And Paul knew this. Why am I here? Paul did not know, uh, did not only know his identity and where he came from, he knew why he was here. He knew his reason for being. You see, he knew he had been entrusted, the title of our little series, entrusted with something very special. You see, Paul knew that because he was a servant of God, he was sent by Jesus for the faith of God's elect. He was sent for that reason, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. And Paul has to preach, verse 3. That is why he is here. That is what he has given his life for or to. Now, there are really two important facts here that go hand in hand. Paul has been called Paul has been called, sorry, that should have been up there. Paul has, has, been, has been called of God to bring the news of the gospel to people which not only has the power to save through faith, but always has the sustaining power to lead people to a knowledge of truth that affects how they live. When he wrote his letter to the church at Rome, to those Christians in Rome, or the churches in Rome, to the church capital C in Rome, but to the the groups of Christians that were meeting around Rome, he was at pains to say that this gospel that came to them was not a gospel that he made up. That was thrown at him on a number of occasions, but he says it's the gospel of God, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's, it, and to top it all off, it's the gospel of power, the gospel of the Holy Spirit at work, of God, the triune God at work 
in the gospel in bringing people to salvation. For here are two fundamental aspects of the character of those who are God's people, God's elect. Faith and knowledge. Faith and knowledge. Knowledge, understanding based on hard facts, are not at loggerheads necessarily with faith. In other words, it's not, we don't need to leave our brains at the door when we trust in God. Now, although this is not, this is not teaching on how to defend our faith, what some Bible scholars call apologetics. Bible scholars like, love to use big words at times to impress. <laughs> it simply means a defense of the faith. And our trust is reasonable based on the evidence that we see all around us in our world and in our lives. It is for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And if this interests you further, I can recommend to you a, a website called reasonablefaith.org. I'm sure some of you know that, that website, which has contributions from a quite brilliant apologist called William Lane Craig. It's a fascinating website, fascinating website of, of, of historical facts which defends God's Word, which defends God's character and His, and His Word and Jesus' life and, and ministry. Have a look one night and uh, it's absolutely brilliant. You see, it's logical if you know who God is that your life be different from those around you. We trust God because we know who He is. We live our lives because of who He is. Ever thought why time and time again in the Bible we have the phrase, in the Old Testament, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I often scratch my head, why on earth does God describe himself like that? Why doesn't he just describe himself as, I am God, I am Yahweh? Because God is reminding Moses in particular that he is trustworthy. He's proved himself time and time again, and He's proved Himself in your lives. You, no doubt, have been through the mill at times. You, no doubt, have been through difficulties, and you proved Him faithful in spite of severe possible suffering, whether it be health, where others around you think, just give up, and yet you've trusted Him, or whether it be suffering because of your faith, when I worked in Marseille for all those years, there were Christians that didn't receive job promotions because they were Christians. That's in Western Europe, and I'm sure that happens here. That is why we have in the Hebrews the phrase, and I love it, and again, it's sometimes used as a cliche, but it's not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God does not change. He is constant, and that is why Jesus, when speaking to John in the book of the Revelation, says the words, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one. And if we believe in God, our lives will be different. 
the faith as it grows in God and the knowledge of the truth that we learn through the Word of God leads us to godliness. The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You see, it, it matters how I live. It really matters how I live. When I go into Tilsley College, it matters my relationship with my, my colleagues, with the students. It matters even more so when I go home tonight and I'm with my wife and I'm with my children. They see me. They'll tell you who I really am. You might not invite me back next week. You see, it matters what I say. It matters what I write. It matters what I see on the internet. It matters what I watch in my television. It really does matter how I live. And that is why John, when writing in his letter, his first letter could say so strongly, and almost you can imagine modern-day evangelical Christians being offended by him, some anyway, anyone who says, I love God, yet hates his brother, is a liar. There's no way we can look at that through rose-tinted spectacles, is there? I can imagine not being asked back at times to some places if I really preach this verse truthfully and fully. In fact, it scares me to even think about what that might mean for my life. Really. Or try another from the pen of John. I've got John in my mind tonight. I'm preaching that in, in Greenock. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What are we living for? Why are we here? You see, the knowledge of the truth that leads to the practice, it leads rather to the practice of the truth. That's what the next two studies will be about in more detail in the letter. That is why Paul is at pains through this letter, and indeed in First and Second Timothy, to insist upon the inseparable link of doctrine and life. Faith and action, trust and living, believing and behaving. And Paul, the apostle of Jesus and servant of God, is to preach the Word of God to these people. And not only did Paul know who he was, where he came from, and why he was here, he also knew where he was going. And why he was here. He knew where he was going. He saw his life, you see, in the big plan, in the big picture. For in these verses we see that the faith and knowledge of truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge of truth resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at, at His appointed season, He brought His Word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of, the God, of, of God, our Savior. He was resting on the hope of eternal life. He was resting on Christ. 
Paul has the future in view here, just like he has in chapter 3, verse 7, if you look at it. He says, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We mustn't think of hope as a hope for the best, for a hope that there'll be no traffic cones in Darville or on the A9 or whatever. It's not a hope for the best. It's a hope, as a hymn writer puts it, and one that we used at our wedding nearly 25 years ago, this is a hope that is steadfast and certain, gone through the curtain and touching the throne, for it is there that we have a priest who is there interceding, pouring His grace on our lives day by day. This is Hebrews chapter 6 type of hope. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by Himself and saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so it goes on after Abraham waited patiently because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. You see, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, and He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And do you see the guarantee that He has given us in these verses? God does not lie, and God has promised it from the beginning of time. He does not lie. And God has brought this gospel to light at the appointed time. And this is Paul now preaching it. Do you see what Paul is calling upon here to underline the sure and certain hope? He is calling upon the character and the nature of God who is truth personified. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is calling upon the eternal purposes of God. You see, Paul knew where he was going. Eternal life was his, and he longed to be in God's presence with his Savior. He longed to have it. He said, for to me, for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain, if I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I am torn between the two, yet what should I choose? I don't know. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so here we have it, and we will say something next week because my time is gone, about this remarkable man, Paul, and this incredible man, Titus, that we'll think about next week. But it would be wrong not to finish this challenge, given Paul describes both God and Christ Jesus, his Savior. It would be wrong not to finish with this. And this challenge is a fairly straightforward one. Is Jesus your Savior? Do you derive your identity from who you are in God? Do you know where you come from? Do you know why you're here? Do you know where you're going? And the answer to that question begins 
at a visit to the cross, begins to visit to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where Jesus, God the Son, knew who He was, knew why He was here, knew the purpose for which He was on earth, and He certainly knew where He was going when He said, Father, into Your hands I commend my spirit. You see, He gave up His life for me there, and He gave up His life for you. And some 30 years have passed since I acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior in my life, but it's still the same, and it's still true to this day that God is in the business of changing Saul's into Paul's. He's in the business of saving unsaved Gary's into saved Gary's. He's in the business of giving us a purpose in life and sending us out into our village, into our streets, into our homes to bring to them, maybe not in the same way as Paul did, maybe not in the same preaching way as Paul did, but in sharing our faith because it has been entrusted to us. This gospel has been given to us and we need to take it out. And I know that you're doing it, but I'm encouraging you to keep on doing it. And let's think about this letter over this next week as I finish. Let's think about this letter, thinking about how the truth of it should affect how we live as we think of being not a a Cretan, but a Christian. Let's pray. Father, take your word. I pray, and plant it deep within our hearts. May we hide your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you, and so that we might serve you with all the strength that we have and all the energy that we have. Father, bless this church this week and all the activities that every member will be involved in. Help them as they take Christ out to a needy world and to their needy families into their needy workplaces, into their needy streets. For we believe, Father, that now is the day of salvation. Father, impress your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.